0: passage we're familiar with, Joshua chapter 7, and we're just going to start reading in verse 1. Bible says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Haven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up, and view the country. And the men went up, and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up, and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebrim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over to Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around, and cut off our name from the earth, and what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. Lord, thank you for today, for this lesson, for the word of God. Help us now to learn what we can from it, and use me as a speaker. I am just human and I am, I am with air oftentimes. Lord, I pray that you would use me despite who I am and speak to those today who are listening. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Back in 2006, most of you, you guys were all alive then, right? I have to make sure because in teen class, I said back in 2006, and then somebody on the Zoom call said, Pastor Tim, I wasn't alive yet. It's like, man. <laughs> I'm getting old now. Back in 2006, the story of a homeless man. You may have heard the story. It's actually pretty famous. Homeless man in Detroit, Michigan, was rummaging through the garbage, rummaging through the dumpster. And lo and behold, in the dumpster, he finds $21,000 in US bonds sitting in the dumpster. So this is pretty neat. Usually, homeless men. You know, it's not every day you find that. So usually they do what they can to, to peddle and just earn a few dollars from somebody. But here's a guy who finds $21,000 in U.S. bonds in this dumpster. Charles Moore, 59 years old, is the guy that found this money. And what did he do with the money? Obviously, I wouldn't be telling you this story if he just kept it and went on his way. That'd be kind of lame. Of course, what did he do? He did really what most people would not imagine somebody homeless doing, is he took the money, or the bonds, and he took it to a nearby sh- homeless shelter that he was staying at. And he gave it to one of the staff members who was in charge and said, I found this in an envelope. It must belong to somebody. Can you please find out who the owner is? And as the story goes, the staff member was, of course, pretty stunned at first that this guy would do this. I mean, he's homeless. He just found $21,000. Uh, but what did he do? He was grateful, so he took the bonds, and he tracked down the owner. The owner came by the shelter. He presented the bonds to the man. The man was completely dumbfounded that this happened. <laughs> and he wanted to, he, he took the money, and he, and he went home. He was just so grateful that he had, and he, according to the story as well, he didn't even realize they existed. They were apparently from his deceased father. He was uh, still dumbfounded, not sure why they ended up where they did, but he was grateful. Well, the man who, uh, who received those bonds, his son heard of the gesture that this homeless guy did and wanted to give him something for doing that. Only, you know, it seems right. Though that money wouldn't have existed had he not done what he did. So he went over to the homeless man and he says, out of a kind gesture for what you did for us, we wanted to give you Some of the money that was given to you, that that you gave to us, so he pulls out a hundred-dollar bill, gives it to the homeless guy, says thank you, and he walked away. Hundred dollars. He gave him, he saved him twenty-one thousand dollars, and in return he got one hundred dollars. Now, you and I today may think, man, if I could have just went back in time. If I had known this was the outcome, would I have changed it? Maybe what I could have done was taken 5,000 out, given him the whatever's left, (laughs) won uh, $16,000 and fought in bonds. And the guy wouldn't have even cared. He would have thought, wow, I didn't have any, so I'm glad you found some. Thank you. He could have just taken the rest. But according to the interview, the man says, As soon as I saw that money sitting in the envelope, I never for one second thought about keeping it. Because had it been me on the other end, I would have wanted somebody to do the same thing that I did. And he was so grateful to have received that $100. This homeless guy, Charles Moore, he had a choice to make. And he made the right choice. Regardless of what happened in the outcome, he made the right choice. Morally, ethically, biblically, spiritually, he made the right choice. But not everybody always makes the right choice. We have in this story a famous story that we're all familiar with by a guy named Achan. Achan, who, did he make the right choice? Anybody? No? You know the story? He did did not make the right choice, okay? I'm just assuming everybody knows the story well. Achan did not make the right choice. He made a choice, but it was not the right one. And in this case, his choice costed him his life. Now, as the story goes, the Israelites had finally crossed over Jordan. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness, their moment had finally come, and their first task was jericho <laughs> like lord could you have started us off with ai <laughs> i always thought about that because ai is the passage that they, they were just talking about here in joshua 7 There were just they were just it was a small city lord maybe we could have started with that no god wanted them to start with jericho and said uh, titus loves me telling the story of jericho because we march around and we pretend we're falling and you know the story, uh, they marched around the wall once, right? So on Monday, I don't know what day of week it was, but they couldn't say anything. They had to be quiet. And then on Tuesday, they had to march around once, but they had to be quiet. And on Wednesday, same thing, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I don't, I don't know if it was on Sunday, but it sounds cool. But on Sunday, God says, now today, you're going to walk around seven times. And on the last time around, you're going to yell, you're going to scream, you're going to shout, and I'm going to give you the victory. And that's what happened, right? They yelled, they screamed, they shouted, and the walls came down. And the only really two instructions that God gave Israel was save Rahab and her household. Because they had saved the spies that went in earlier. So save Rahab and her household and destroy everything else. That's pretty much it. They were actually allowed to keep some of the silver and gold. They were going to put that into the, the house of the Lord. But basically, save Rahab, destroy everything else. And then God uses strong words. He says, because the items within that city are accursed. He, God placed some kind of curse on the city and says, you don't want to mess with this stuff. I have doomed it. But we know that that's, uh, it didn't quite go as, as planned. They defeat Jericho, and Joshua is feeling good about himself. Next city, Ai. Ai compared to Jericho, it's crumbs. And Joshua is saying, "Okay, we're gonna get a break here." Sends in some spies, and they come back like we just read. Oh yeah, Joshua, just send in a few thousand people, and it's a piece of cake. We don't. Uh, you probably don't even need that, but just just in case, you know, that's all you need. So they go in, and the Bible says that the small city of Ai killed thirty-six people which from a military perspective isn't really that terrible. But the Bible says that their hearts melted. As they, In verse 5, it says the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So 36 people died, and then the people just gave up. They just couldn't go on anymore. They got so terrified, so afraid. They had just defeated Jericho. And these little, and they were just, and they all ran and Joshua was just scratching his head. What just happened? I could see him gathering the people together saying, uh, Jericho, Ai. Jericho, like what happened in between? And of course we know God had to come to Josh, Joshua and say, Joshua, it's not your fault. But there's sin in Israel. Somebody took of the accursed things from Jericho. So now we come to verse Verse 11. And Israel has sinned, and they have also trespassed. So this is what Jesus, this is what God tells Joshua now. He says, gather the people together, and I will show you, I will show you who did this thing. Now, can you imagine being, <laughs> and, I mean, Israel gathers together, and Joshua is looking for the, the bad apple. And I imagine the people knew what was going on, too. And Joshua, if you read the Bible, God helps Joshua narrow it down to this tribe. Joshua says, okay, someone's guilty in this tribe. Everyone else go home. Okay, and then God tells him next. All right, it's in this portion, this region over here. Okay, everybody here, go next. And you know Achan's sitting there going, do you think God knows? (laughs) Do you think, I am I in trouble? And then it comes down to the family. And then it comes down to the person, Achan. He's guilty. He's caught. It reminds me of when I was in choir in, uh, in Lancaster in homiletics. I told the story when we were in Lancaster. We were singing and we were <laughs> we were singing. We were recording for a CD, and it's a CD. Uh, I think I, I was in one of the CDs. I think it was called "Look to God." I don't remember. But we're in the CD and we're recording. And recording processes are so long and difficult, right, Pastor Deviant? They they take forever. And if one, somebody turns a page too hard, then uh, oh, I've got to do it over again. You, know, you don't want to hear that on your recording session. So we sing the song three or four times. And finally, our director with the wall stops and says, OK, look, somebody is singing off key. And if you know who you are, we're going to take a break. We're going to mingle. And you can just slip out, and I won't say a word. Nobody will, it's, it's fine. You know, if you know who you are, just leave, is what he basically said. It's been a long day. So we mingle for a while, we come back, and I'm looking around thinking, everyone's still here. Is it me? <laughs> I'm getting worried now. Like I, if I'm tone deaf, how would I know, right? So we start singing, and halfway through, he stops and he says, okay, all right, let's start with the, the sopranos first. Nobody else sing just the sopranos. So they're singing their part. He's listening. And the song finishes. OK, your guys are good. Altos. I'm thinking, oh, this is terrible. How embarrassing. And altos sing. He's like, OK, you guys are fine. Next, tenors. So the tenors sing. And he's like, all right, sounds fine. Bass. I'm in the bass section. Bass. And there's like 20 of us or something. And we're, now we're, we're sweating. We're nervous. And uh, we don't really know what to do. So he <laughs> we start singing. Halfway through, he stops us. He says, OK, um, top row, you sing this next line. <laughs> I'm in the third row, those four rows. So the top row sings. He's like, OK, you're fine. Next row, you guys sing. You're fine. Comes in my row. I'm not lying. Comes in my row. Halfway through, he stops us. He says, OK, that row. Um, <laughs> just the people on the sides, you sink. I mean, would be, like, I would just wipe out that row, of the base section. I was getting ready to leave. Like, I don't know if it's me or not. He narrows it down to three people left. And guess who's in the three? Of course, I'm in the three. So it's me, the guy next to me, and the guy next to him. Now, I was suspicious of the guy next to me, but I wasn't going to say anything. But most of the time, he was pretty good. But there was a few times, but then again, I know I'm not perfect either, so I wasn't going to say anything. So it comes down to those, us three, and he dismisses us for a five-minute break. <laughs> Great. And obviously, those three go up to him. And he's looking around, and he's whispering to the three of us. And he says, now, I know of one of the three of you, there's a few notes that you just, you just, you just can't get it right. And I'm pretty sure of the three of you, you know who it is. It might be the guy next to you. So I need you to speak up now. You're not in trouble. Nothing's wrong. It's been a 12-hour long day. I just want to finish the song. And he's like, I'll I'll give you money. (laughs) Just tell me who you are. And the other two guys said nothing at all. So I just walked up, and I just said, I don't know. It could be me. (laughs) I said, or it could be the guy next to me. I'm not sure. So just in case, I can leave. He's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. So he walked up to the the guy in the middle, and he asked him to leave. And so we we all mingled. We went back. We played the song through, and he says, Cut! That's a wrap. We're good, and uh, we all—woo! We all throw our—we didn't have hats, but I don't—we threw stuff, and we were so excited. We were so happy. Everybody in the choir knew who wasn't there. He he made it so obvious, and uh, he—I don't know if that's the most tactful way of doing it. But can you imagine my heart pounding as he narrows it down to the three guys in the whole choir, and I'm in the three. And can you imagine Achan here? He's sitting there thinking, oh, man. Now, Achan knows he's guilty. I don't think the guy next to me had any clue that he was, he was guilty. It comes down to Achan, and Achan knows he's guilty. We come down here to verse 16. Verse 16, the Bible says, So Joshua rose up in the morning, and this is the story I just told you. He narrows it all the way down to verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, Verse 19, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. And what he does here is he helps us see a few things in his life that caused him to fall. And these are important things for us to consider today. When it comes to us making the right choice in life, what choice is the right choice? And when it comes to making the wrong choice, Aiken becomes very candid for us and gives us some, some pointers on how we can avoid these things here this, this morning. The first thing he says here is, when I saw. The first mistake Achan had was, he saw. The Bible says in verse 21, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and 200 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weights, So the Bible says he was going through, the walls had fell, I'm guessing, and and people were you know, running through. And he's running, and I don't know if they're burning things, they're making sure everything's killed like God had commanded. And the Bible says he saw. He saw something that caught his eye. Now I imagine hundreds, if not thousands of people had seen the same thing he's looking at. Or maybe he was rummaging through the houses of Jericho, maybe a few hadn't fallen. He kicked the door down and He saw this garment. He saw this money. He saw the the wedge of gold. I always think of potato wedge, and I know that's not what it was. But he saw this wedge of gold. He saw the silver. He saw what he needed, what he wanted in his heart. Now, seeing something isn't always a sin. Even if you see something you're not supposed to, sometimes it just happens on accident. You know, I always tell this illustration, you're in the grocery store, and there's those magazines on the side. Sometimes they show stuff on there you shouldn't be looking at. And sometimes you're just minding your own business, and you just kind of glance, and you look at something, and go, ah, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have seen that. Sometimes it happens. You're walking down the road, something appears in front of you, it happens sometimes. But as my pastor growing up used to say, maybe the first time is not the sin, but it's when you look the second time. You know, you look, and ah, and then you... You look back a second time. Perhaps that's what happened to Achan. He was, uh, you know, destroying things. I don't know what they were doing. And he saw something and he, maybe he looked away and he just stopped and, and he looked a second time. He saw it. He specifically pointed out the fact that he saw it, which means it caught his eye's attention. If we're seeing something, perhaps isn't necessarily a sin, but sometimes we, put ourselves in positions to see sin. We are constantly putting ourselves in a a position where sin may appear there, which is why it's important that we not go into certain places or do certain things that may cause you to sin. This is why we challenge you when it comes to the movies you choose to watch, the TV shows you choose to look at, even some of the internet sites you choose to go around, because maybe it itself isn't a sin, but what could happen because of that. One reason why a lot of people are against things like the movie theaters and stuff, because you go in, you never know what you're going to see, and you never know what you just paid to watch and what's going to pop up on your screen and really force you to continue watching. It's this idea of putting yourself in a situation where you might fall, where you might sin. And we know that Aiken had a heart problem because of what we're going to look at next. And Achan was just perhaps minding his own business, but he saw. And that was his first mistake. But secondly here, when I saw, verse 21, among the spoils, a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold a 50 shekels weight, then, what's those next two words? Verse 21, then I coveted. So first thing is he saw. But second, he coveted. Aiken's being very candid for us today. And God had, I think, this for a reason. I know he had everything for a reason. This word coveted here is interesting. It literally means to delight. He, he looked and he delighted at what he saw. He, he liked it. He, he wanted it. He saw it. And then in his heart, he wanted it. It made him happy. He liked what he saw. And this is really the root of the problem here. Normally, we don't willfully do something wrong unless you want to do it. You don't usually willingly disobey your parents unless it's something within your heart that you really want to do. I know those rebellious kids who do something just to make their parents angry. But as good, decent people who who sincerely who love the Lord, you're not going to willfully step out and do something wrong unless your heart just really wants it. And we see this problem here with Achan. I imagine when Joshua was giving the command, all right, once the walls come down, you guys go in and you destroy everything, but do not take anything, anything of the accursed things. Don't take anything. And I imagine Achan in his heart said, why? Why? If they're all dead. Why can't we use the clothes that they... That they made. Why can't we use the gold that they had? Why can't we, you know, we're doing all the hard work of it. Why can't we take some things back for ourselves? Why? Perhaps in his heart, it, it had already started before the walls even had come down. And perhaps he thought, okay, whatever, fine, I won't take anything. And as he's going through, he's fighting, and he sees it, and he looks, and his heart wanted it. His heart delighted in it. And perhaps he hadn't got his heart right back before the walls came down, now he's looking at this garments and this money and he thinks to himself, man, this could help me settle down someday. Yeah, This could help me and my family. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, what's the next three words? So is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. This is, Really, the root of the problem here is his heart was not in the right place. He coveted. He is not the man his mouth speaks or declares him to be, but what his heart thinks, which is discovered by his looks and actions, and by which he is to be judged of, and not by his words. What Achan says through his mouth is not what was matching his heart. His heart was now doing the speaking. You see, it began with his eyes, which were caught with the goodliness of the garments and the riches he saw. These affected his hearts and stirred up covetous desires, which influenced and directed the third thing that happened. It directed, number three, his hands to take them. So it says here in verse 21, I coveted them and took them. You see, his eyes affected his heart, which caused him to do the action that he knew he shouldn't have done. He took. He took them. You see, once your heart is captured by delight, nothing can change it. You can try to suppress your feelings, but until your heart changes, you will never be satisfied. This is oftentimes a problem with addicts, is their heart really wants it, and until they can change their hearts, really, that addiction's going to keep coming back. Um, my uncle, my, my mom's brother, he struggled with addictions uh, growing up. Specifically, his hardest addiction was cigarettes. And praise God, never tried them, never done them, never will. Uh, but I know that from stories how difficult some things are to, to let go of. And there's something about the nicotine. There's something about it that just makes it difficult. And I remember him just struggling and struggling to get rid of this problem. And he'd fall, and he'd do good for a while, and he'd fall, and he'd do good for a while, and he'd fall. And then he'd go into depression. He'd beat himself up. Why can't I overcome this, you know? Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. And he'd do everything he could. And it wasn't until his heart changed. It wasn't until one day he realized something internally could happen to him, uh, according to a doctor's checkup, if he didn't stop now. And that's what he needed. That's what helped him change his heart. Was it still easy for him? Well, no. But the next time he stopped, to this day, he's never gone back. It's been over 20 years now. And it was a, he needed that change in his heart. He needed, for him, it wasn't quite life threatening, but it could have become that. And that was the change that he needed in his heart. You see, this is why it's dangerous to hang around the, with the wrong kinds of influences. You start hanging around with the wrong kinds of influences. And your heart starts to change. And once your heart changes, then you get, this is a common problem with teenagers, then mom and dad say, hey, who, who are you hanging out with over there? Don't hang out with them. It's too late. Their heart is already with them. Their heart has already changed. Their heart has changed from their parents' desires to their friends' desires. It's dangerous to let, to, to let your heart go. Once you start liking things you shouldn't, then you start doing things you shouldn't. Once you start liking a person, boy or girl, once you start liking them, you hang out with them, all of a sudden your heart starts falling for them. They're not saved. They're not the person you know you should be hanging around with. But once it's too late, once your heart is captivated by that person, it's oftentimes too late or very, very difficult to turn it back around. Once your heart changes and it delights, it won't feel happy unless it has it. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And this is this is the problem here that's happening with Achan. A few verses down, no man can serve two masters. This is the struggle of right and wrong when you're saved. You have, you know, you like Paul says, there's things I know I should do, but I don't do them. And there's this war between us, and when your heart is taken by the things of this world, you end up doing that which you never thought you would do in the first place. So Achan here, he saw, he coveted, he took, and this is what happens, especially for a Christian. You finally get what your heart desires. Maybe you've been fighting it all your life. You know, It's part of you that you know you shouldn't have, but you finally experience it. Maybe you've been curious about something your whole life. Maybe it's a, it's a sexual sin, and maybe it's a, this sin, or, or even something smaller or this or that. And you know, you've know you been searching for it your whole life, and finally you give in, and finally you get it. But look what happens next to Achan. And this is what happens to most Christians. Verse 21, he coveted them and took them, and behold, they are Hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Achan got what he wanted. He got what he what he coveted, what he delighted in, what his heart desires. He got it, he took it, and number four, he hid it. He hid it. Why? Because he wasn't supposed to have it. He had to keep it a secret now. Now it was all his. Now he had to bury it under his tent. And worse is he buried that which he wanted, which means he couldn't use that which he got. He had to bury it. All the garment, the money, the golds. I don't even know if his family knew about it. Maybe they did. I mean, he buried it in their tent. Chances are the wife probably knew. You now he couldn't do anything with it. This sin, this thing you always thought you wanted, he got. And now it wasn't what he had hoped it would be. Couldn't even use it. Sometimes we think if we could just get that one thing, then we'll be happy. If we could just do that one thing for one time or one more time, then all will be well. But the problem is Proverbs 27, verse 20. It says, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. If we could just get that, that girl, you know, or get that guy to notice me or like me, if I could just land that job or just get that scholarship, if I can just get into that university, if I can just look at that one more time, I'll be cured, I'll be fine, I'll be happy And then I can continue serving God. And some of the things our hearts desire may not even be necessarily bad or wicked. But we think that they will satisfy us. But the thing is, just like Achan, we see it, we desire it, we take it, but it doesn't do what we hoped it would do. Because it's empty. It's temporary. That's the problem with the world. We cling we run after the world and it may seem fun for a season as the bible says but in the end we have to end up hiding it suppressing it it wasn't what it seemed and this is the problem with so many people today even in losing their purity and and losing things losing even just their relationship with their parents and and with their church and with their pastor and and their positions it's because they go after their heart and that's the motto of our modern uh, new generation today Follow your hearts. And yet if you do that, this is where it's going to lead you. Because in the end, last thing here that happens to Achan is found in verse 25. So after he hides it, the Bible says in verse 23 and 24, Joshua takes, you know, they find it in the tents, verse 23. Joshua, verse 24, gathers all Israel together. Achan, his sons, his, his, uh, his, his family, his all the wedge of gold, the oxen, all his sheep, he gets all of Achan's possessions. Verse 25 And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. So, what did it end to with Achan? Lastly, he died. I know it's kind of a morbid ending there, but he died. Now I realize that not all, our choices may not always lead to us being burned, being stoned, us and everything we owned. Achan did something, he took of the accursed thing. So he was asking for it. God cursed these items. He doomed the possessions in Jericho. So by Achan taking those, he was really taking his own life. We knew He, he knew he was guilty because of the way he responded. Now, our choices may not always end there immediately, but oftentimes they could lead to this much sooner than we had hoped. Oftentimes they could lead to us maybe not even physically dying, but once your spirit starts to pass away, once, you're, once you start dying to your spirit instead of dying to your flesh, it just leads all kinds of turmoil down the road. You know, when David sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet specifically said, Your household is going to be ruled by violence until the day of your death. There's going to be consequences for your sins. And what happened? Pretty soon, uh, his uh, Amnon and Tamar and then Absalom kills half-brother and then tries to take over the throne. And it's an ugly mess. One wrong decision can lead us down a slow path to destruction. You know, we may never know the consequences of our actions. We, we, but just be sure that there will be some. Sometimes they're really visible. Sometimes they're more invisible. We don't really see the negative consequences that takes place. You know, back to that story of the homeless guy. He uh, received $100 for his good deed. But when news got around what this guy had done, the community, the community thought, 100 bucks. The guy should get more than that. I mean, that was, a, that, was a, that was a decent gesture. I mean, you don't really see or hear those kind of stories again. And most of us would want to hear stories like that, where somebody homeless, somebody who doesn't have much, can still help somebody who has much more than they did. And the community got together, and they began to do small things for him, like bring him large, uh, bags and bags of recyclable bottles. I know it's not much, but... To give him free bags. He was able to get money for those. And some people would come by and give him a few dollars here or a few dollars there. And money began to get raised. And after a couple of weeks' time, they were able to present this guy with $4,000, 4000 bucks, And a couple of guys who had some businesses even offered him a couple of job positions. They found out this guy used to have a job, a, a decent job. He lost it and didn't have family or anything, and just found himself living on the streets. I don't know what happened to that guy. I tried looking him up. I couldn't find anything. Maybe some of you who are savvy at that can look him up a bit later. But his good choice led to good things. And that's just the simple rule of life. Aiken made a wrong choice, and it led to destruction. Where is your heart today? What are some things you secretly perhaps want to do or want to try to do that you know you shouldn't or you know it's probably not the best option? This is where you need to ask God to help you change your desires to match his. We all have a flesh. We all have a sin nature. There's always a part of us that is curious about what that grass is like on the other side of the fence, you know, what it's like over there. But it's when that curiosity sets in, that's the moment when you need to get rid of it. That's the moment when you say, Lord, I've been having these thoughts about, you know, this kind of thing and that, and Lord, I don't even know if it's right or wrong, but God, something's telling me it's probably not the thoughts I should be having. Lord, help me to keep my thoughts where they should be. Maybe you've gone farther and you started dipping your toes in things you know you shouldn't. It's not too late. It's not too late to say, Lord, you know what I've been doing. I've been slowly starting to try these things out, Lord, and part of me really wants to do it. God, take away these desires and tune my heart with yours. Maybe you've already gone in. You've jumped in already, and you're swimming in things you know you shouldn't be swimming in. It's still not too late. We serve a forgiving God. And if we will come to God and confess our sins, And yeah, there's still going to be some consequences for sure, but you can get back on track. You can get back to serving God and forsake those things and live the rest of your life as close as we can to God. COVID time has given us a lot of extra free time. Some of us, some of us, we've seen more time on our hands than usual. If we're not careful, these things can creep in our life and turn us into something we know we shouldn't be. Lord, thank you for today, for this lesson It was more of a simple lesson, but I hope today that it would help us to at least examine our hearts and see where we are today. Help us to keep our eyes on you and to be the Christians that we know we should be. So Lord, help us to search our hearts, see where we're at spiritually and how we can improve and get closer and closer to you. Lord, we pray these things in your name.